Welcome to the Kixology Podcast, a show all about running shoes. My name is Brian Metzler, your host and resident running shoe geek. I'm also the author of Kixology, a book about the hype, science, culture, and cool of running shoes. In this episode, I'm joined by Carson Caprara, the Senior Director of Global Footwear Product Management at Brooks Running, and Danny Orr, the Senior Business Unit Manager for Innovation at New Balance. We'll talk about the evolution of running shoes, the development of shoes with carbon fiber plates, new models just released from Brooks and New Balance, and what's next in running shoes. Thanks for tuning in. Sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for joining me. Good to be here, Brian. That's a chat too. Uh, so we're going to talk about a lot of things about running shoes. Um, today, as mentioned, I'm with Carson Caprara from Brooks Running and Danny Orr from New Balance. Um, you know, I think we've all come into running shoes and, and, and running in different ways. My background is that I was a, a decent high school runner, a very mediocre college runner who, who loved running shoes. I didn't know why until much later. I think, um, you know, through the years of my running, uh, both in track and in trail running and road running, I found that running shoes were special. Um not that it was the act of buying shoes, but it was like something that took me someplace, you know, and it was like, it, it brought good feelings out. And, and maybe people that bought bikes or other stuff felt the same, but I always felt that running shoes really brought something special into my life because maybe it inspired me to run, inspired my fitness, things like that. Um, I, I guess you, I'll ask you guys that same question uh, relative to your own experience and being in the running industry for so long, kind of kind of what, what made them special to you and or kind of how has that evolved? Carson? Yeah, wow. Um, I, I guess I was just always fascinated with um, how footwear had such dramatically different effects on people and on runners and, and how opinionated they would become uh, from one shoe to the next. And I guess I got that from starting in a running store when I was in high school and uh, sort of thrown on the floor and, and having to sell shoes and fit people into the right running shoe. And I just became super intrigued by what made a shoe connect with somebody or what made them feel supported in it or comfortable or uh, smooth. And uh, I just became fascinated with geometries and shapes and and how uh, and, and why certain shoes worked and why others didn't. Interesting. That's uh, that, yeah, it's, I think I think the, the, that kind of primary experience of working in a running store certainly kind of exposes you to that, um, either working or just visiting a running store. Uh, you know, obviously you see all the differences and kind of realize that runners are all different, but also shoes are different and, and how we interact with them are different. Uh, Danny, how about you? Yeah, it's a funny story. It's one of those things that I can remember from my childhood. And it was this comment from my dad in which he said, like, why do you keep looking at different people's shoes and feet? It's really, really weird. He's like, you'll do that in restaurants. You'll do that walking down the street. You do that when we have friends over. And it's funny. I feel like from from the very beginning, as early as I can remember, I've always had this like weird obsession with looking at what different shoes people are wearing or how different feet work and, and just trying to understand a little bit about the choices people make and, and why they make the different shoe choices they do. I come from a kind of more of a, a sports background in, in being a South African, you know, rugby and cricket were a big part of my sports growing up. And I came to running a little bit later, but similar to Carson, like working in a, firstly in a general sports store, selling a bunch of shoes, again, with a passion for cricket and rugby first, and then, you know, developing into into running shoes and, and moving from working in a, a general sports environment to a, um, to a run specialty environment. And 
getting a lot, a little bit more specific, should I say, in terms of trying to help runners with the issues that they were having in in relation to their footwear and and really trying to understand as much about the different technologies and techniques that went into the shoes um, from that early from that early stage. And then I was lucky to to spend some time at the University of Cape Town and the Sports Science Institute in Cape Town, learning a little bit more about, you know, generally people's feet and biomechanics and how shoes and orthotics played a big role in keeping people healthy and hopefully um, enjoying the sports and the different activities that they were doing. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously that some of the earlier days of running. I think we've all experienced uh, and are still experiencing the the joys and splendors, and also limiting factors of, of EVA. Right, uh, so many shoes were, for a long time ago were made with EVA. You know, this beautiful, one wonderful, basic level cushioning system that you know I can recall. My first bunch of shoes were just basically slabs of EVA and heavy chunks of rubber, and and you know probably vinyl overlays. You know, but um, but obviously you know starting in the late '80s. I think you saw a lot of shoes kind of evolve with new technologies, you know, airs and gels and, and various things. Um, but I guess, you know, it, it's one thing that those technologies started to emerge, but I think it's more something else in the running shoe world where running shoes, especially almost more than any other sports equipment, um, really had this constant, like ever changing, um, pushing the boundaries idea, both from a real true performance and materials point of view, but also obviously for marketing, because we've been in this, you know, people talk about a foam war now, which we'll get into in running shoes. That's been going on for years, right? I mean, if you look at the early ads from some of the brands in the 70s, it was all about, oh, we're, we're more cushioned than you are because of our foam. And even though it was the same foam, I guess, maybe talk about that from a point of evolution. I mean, you guys are at the, at the epicenter of this, of this running shoe revolution right now with great materials and new designs, and new concept. But it's been going on for, you know, as long as running shoes have been a thing, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll jump in on it. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible what EVA did to uh, running footwear. And, you know, before that, like you said, Brian, you know, it was, it was rubber in the ground and EVA sort of um, opened up a runner's mind to being able to run farther and longer without, uh, as much fatigue and as much pain. And, and it's, it's interesting today. It's sort of the foam war is solving the same thing just on a grander scale. Exactly. Uh, which is really, really interesting. And I think the innovation, first of all, what's really interesting about our sport is in, innovation comes in a pendulum uh, in our sport. It seems like where there's extremes and then there is a, an unlock that takes the, takes the running footwear into a completely different extreme. Um, and, uh, that sort of pendulum back and forth, but I think it's driven by running is, is just such a primal sport. You know, it's just so accessible. Uh, it is very high, um, impact and, and it's a demanding sport. And so because of that, I think runners are constantly in search of a better technology to put between them and the ground. And, um, if you look at just how rapidly footwear, running footwear has evolved, even in the last 15 to 20 years, since I've been in the business, it's unbelievable from the breathability of uppers to the dynamic nature of materials to the foams that have um, not, that are not only durable, but they're light, they're springy, they're soft. They sort of do all this stuff. Um, but I think it's driven by the consumer really demanding great product to protect them uh, for the miles. And it's also a really competitive category, uh, which is great. I think competition breeds innovation and, and you have a sport that's so accessible like running and it affects people all over the world. Um, running shoe companies want to keep pushing the limits uh, for their consumer. 
Sure. And, and I know, Danny, we've talked about this too. We've talked about the kind of the evolution of foams and how much it's changed what you can do. It's almost created this blank canvas, so to speak, of kind of how, as Carson said, you make this runner comfortable and more performance oriented. I mean, it seems like, yeah, we're at this crazy new zenith of, of running shoe development, even though we thought that 10 years ago, right? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with anything Carson said there. You know, I feel like he's kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of what the categories meant. And you know, if anything, running probably is the the biggest innovator in relation to footwear. You know, it's a it is an environment where we're lucky in that the the prices of shoes are a little bit higher. The opportunity to put more technology and to think about it in a more innovative way exists in the running shoe world more than it would just in a general footwear world or often in 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 a lot of other sports footwear um, to date. And I, I do think, you know, to your point, we're at we're at a super exciting time now in, in the running footwear space. I feel like there have been other examples of this where we've seen big shifts in technologies. And often what tends to happen is we'll see a new something new come into the industry and a lot of people adopt it and then some true innovation for a period of time. And then things often feel like they settle down a little bit as people get into their cadence. And we tend to evolve our stories and evolve our solutions for a little while until we hit another kind of moment in time where we're introduced to a bunch of new things and a bunch of new insights either from the consumer or from the different technology vendors um, that we're able to deal with or even in relation to what our competitors are doing. Um, and it allows everybody an opportunity to stop, rethink what they've been doing and um, and put some real innovation and some real, into, and some real thought into ultimately what the consumer is going to enjoy uh, more and more from a running shoe perspective. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think, you know, even a couple of things you touched on there. I mean, like 10 years ago, we were in the middle of, of this minimalist movement, right? I mean, it was 2010 and and we were seeing new brands, new ideas, uh, new, new materials to some extent, but it was all about less is more, which, you know, I understood from several points of view because the early 2000s were at a point where there was so much stuff on running shoes, right? And it wasn't all, it was, it was, some of it was heavy plastic stuff or, you know, just not really thinking through, but also maybe materials and kind of technology was not advanced at that point. But when the minimalist uh, movement came through, it seemed like a lot of runners embraced it because um, certainly there was this kind of lighter, more performance oriented shoe coming out, whether all runners could handle that or not um, certainly remains to be seen. And, And, you know, whether, uh, the Born to Run book and all the other things that kind of contributed to that were always beneficial. I don't know. But I, th- I do think there was several things that came out of minimalism that helped us now. I mean, I think that certainly it, it, it forced us or caused us all to think differently, right? From, from running form uh, and performance all the way up to materials, uh, what materials are sourcing and the durability of materials, things like that. Um, I guess Carson, talk about that. Obviously, you guys did quite a bit with that in in kind of um, ideating and, and developing shoes out of the minimalist area that really I think relaunched um, Brooks on the path they are now to the great shoes that are coming out now. But obviously, ten years ago was different. Yeah, man, it was so interesting. I started in footwear um, in the footwear side of the business in two thousand nine. Uh, coming in with you know all of the experience of how footwear you know it relates to consumers and what what's valuable to them and a lot of it had to do with support technologies and support categorizations and I get my first brief and uh, I'm I'm working on the I think it was the adrenaline uh, geez the adrenaline twelve and uh, all of a sudden this book comes out and we are <laughs> off and running on this barefoot phenomenon. 
And it was super shocking. And it sort of called into question everything, the way I had seen the world up until then and what I had known about runners and running shoes. And it was really disorienting. And uh, I think our CEO asked me one time, he's like, are people ever going to go back to traditional shoes? And, And I didn't have an answer. I didn't feel I was, I was completely off kilter, but I will say that it is the greatest thing that has happened in my career. Uh, I think it's the best thing that's happened to Brooks um, in our career. This moment really caused us to change our business model. Um, and it forced us to do a couple things. One, really refocus on science because, you know, we, we realized there was a lapse in scientific research for 20, 20 years on running biomechanics. It just wasn't a priority. So like you said, brands sort of relied on conventional wisdom. And from that, they layered on technologies without reassessing the impact it was having on the body. And we sort of vowed at that moment to never do that again, to really go back into research and to really go back to the foundation of, 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 the, of the body. And that's from that came Run Signature, which was really our, our it was really a paradigm shift in how we looked at running footwear and, and the body. And it's fueled us today. It's going to fuel our innovation for a decade beyond today. And so that was a big part of it. And I think the other part of it was really listening more intently to runners and and not taking it ever for granted. And so we restructured our our product management team and everything to get on the ground with runners, to to spend time with them, to go on runs with them, to really anticipate their unmet needs, not just what they say they want, but what are they implying that they want? And that allowed us to not be blindsided by these things where there's a powder keg of consumer dissent and, and, and then it turns into a massive shift. We can sort of jump on it a lot sooner and, and make the changes before it has to be an overreaction. And so I think those two things are what we took away from it and have, have shaped our business today. Yeah, those are good points. And I think that certainly I, I do believe that uh, that Brooks and New Balance were two of the brands that probably reacted correctly and well to it. Other brands didn't react at all. Um, some brands obviously went the other direction, but I think that from a New Balance point of view, I know that New Balance did well reacting with positive, good product immediately um, or fairly immediately with the Minimus line. And like, I still think the New Balance 101 trail shoe is one of my favorites of all time. But but Danny, obviously you guys were in that place, but also you guys emerged out of that with your own new lines. Um, I think Fresh Roam came out you know, four or five years later and certainly was the advance of this these, these new foam concepts. I guess tell... Tell us how, how you know New Balance went through that, through super successful with that Minimus line, to then obviously evolving and continuing to develop new shoes in, in the new category. I think in a sense we we would almost believe that we got on the trend, you know, follow following very closely behind some of the smaller niche brands into the space, and it, it was actually driven by someone from your neck of the woods who was an important New Balance athlete at the time, and that was. Um, Anthony Caprica. And what we learned from Anthony is that he was cutting different bits and pieces off the bottom of shoes that would have just been ahead of the 101 um, to try and get a more natural feel on some of the, the more technical trails that he was running on and just trying to get a different underfoot feel even on some of the packed dirt trails that he was running on and, and really challenged us to think about some of the insights that he was he was bringing you know, to the table that we definitely weren't hearing from an everyday consumer at that point. And it was along the lines of of Tony inspiring us to think a little bit differently that birthed the first MT-10 or maybe the 101, as you suggested, and then into the MT-10 and, and into some road iterations in and around that kind of that product at that point in time, which 
was super exciting. And I think if anything got us a little bit ahead of the book and some of those things that that came after that, that really threw the fuel on the fire in terms of that way of thinking. In relation to the consumer piece, I think what really happened at that time that was interesting is that the consumer recognized that there was an opportunity for them to get something different and to create a different solution or a different experience in running that they hadn't seen before. I would say that it was probably on us at the brands. Many of us were making very similar products. And, you know, to, to Carson's point, what that did to us is it really made us think about running totally differently and thinking about solutions for consumers that they wouldn't necessarily need every day, um, but could become part of their training repertoire. And I still think that some of that shoes and some of that thinking is is relevant today, whether it be, you know, once or twice a week when you're trying to um, strengthen certain areas of your running or coming back from injuries or just making it part of your daily training or your weekly training cycles. I definitely think a lot of that thinking and a lot of that product, um, you know, still is meaningful today. And to your point, I think one of the things it also did is it is it maybe at that point we were we were maybe guilty of overbuilding shoes with a ton of stability or a ton of different technologies in the midsole that from different cushioning solutions. Um, that I think we went back and we stripped a lot of that product out, reduced some of the weight, increased some of the cushioning, increased some of the transition and smooth kind of feeling underneath the foot. And you know, to the question around fresh foam. It's definitely the inspiration that we and the learnings that we had from Minimus that took us into that kind of more geometry-based underfoot solutions that were much simpler, um, ultimately softer and, and more cushioned and um, more meaningful for the consumer at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, at the same time, we, you know, we're talking about ways of looking at running differently. I think that um, in the early 2000s, there was such a swell of runners. Um, it probably happened in the 90s, but like... A lot of those runners were brand new to running, and that was great. I think um, up until that point, the industry kind of assumed that that runners had some kind of background. I, you know, like I said, I came up through high school and, and college running, and you know, doing drills and uh, understanding different uh, paces to run at during the week, and, and the need for different shoes during the week was inherent to me. But I think that all these new runners that came up didn't understand that maybe, and never knew the difference. They bought one pair of shoes, and it was what it was. But I think the Part of the call back to this, quote, natural running movement um, where people could feel the ground more or have more flex in their foot or whatever you want to say, I think was kind of tied to that um, notion of these new runners just kind of uh, not knowing how to discover that until footwear made it like, oh, yeah, I want to this feels better than that. And like and I think that, you know, certainly the Internet made everyone an expert. And, uh, you know, so so here went the change. But at the same time, you know, you saw other brands that came up, you know, certainly Newton and then the other extreme Hoka. Uh, that changed the game too, obviously, and I think it, it's all been part of this bigger this bigger process. And again, like shoes became lighter, less uh, less overbuilt or, or less built, I guess. And um, and certainly the next piece is foam. I think that you know uh, at the time when everyone was talking about minimalism, all of a sudden Hoka is, is probably the first brand, and many brands that followed uh, realized that runners liked and needed and wanted foam. And at the same time, there started to be new foams that would come out that were doing more. And and probably the first of which was maybe the boost foam from Adidas in, in, in 2013 or so. But I guess talk about how we entered this new foam revolution of sorts, because up until that time, some of these materials weren't available. So there wasn't the ability to give runners that um, that dynamic feel that we're seeing now. And we'll get, we'll get into the specific poems in a bit, but maybe Carson, talk about that. I mean, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, as shoe designers, all of a sudden, there was more materials that could really change the game on how, how that runner kind of um, interacted with the ground, um, certainly with, with an, a cushioned uh, feel, an energetic feel, or, or both. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It, it, I, you know, I have to think about it, you know, in terms of like, was it the material innovation that led to the, was it the material breakthroughs that led to the innovations in footwear design? Or was it the permission that we were given to get outside of our very prescriptive, at least in the performance side, the very prescriptive line architectures that we had created, um, which we didn't allow ourselves to think about experience-based running. It was more about biomechanics and, and getting you in the right amount of support. So uh, I can't speak for Danny on his side, but you know, for, for us, I think it was the permission to explore and, and to challenge our innovation partners to achieve new things with foam because we felt like runners would 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 gravitate towards it and so the best way i can describe that is our line architecture the way we built our shoes was built only on biomechanics prior to the barefoot movement it was you know neutral mild support moderate support and if you could fit in a moderate maximum support and then a maximum support and it left very little room for experience and with barefoot running, the consumer clearly, as Danny said, said, hey, I want to try a different experience. And I don't want to be sort of locked into just what my biomechanical predisposition um, requires. I want to explore running in new ways. And I think coming out of barefoot, we were just in a place where we were more willing to take to go there with the consumer and try new things and realize that we can lead with experience, too. It doesn't just always have to be only the biomechanics. And that's when we started asking our supply supply chain, our, our, our innovation partners to start looking at things like high energy return. What if you could give me a foam that was the highest in energy return? And, you know, they would look at you a little cross-eyed, like no one's ever asked me that. Usually it has to do all these other things too. And you end up sort of mitigating the, the true uh, extreme benefit. And so I think we started asking for it and we started asking for foams that could be really super cushioned, but not be super heavy. Um, and then I think in some ways, like you said, Hoka did prove that out, that there was a desire for it and that there was, that it was possible. And, um, and then that cu coupled with the barefoot movement, I think, uh, police pushed our brand into a space to start really pushing the limits of what experiences could feel like and making running more fun and exciting, not just a prescriptive model, if you will. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, I think that the, the performance aspect was also key to that. I think that, that, that boost foam certainly set a couple of world records in the men's marathon, in 2013, 2014, and certainly it it made everyone take notice. Obviously, it wasn't a marketing thing, or it wasn't something that was slightly better. These things, obviously, these new foams brought incredible performance aspects as well. Um, uh, Danny, as I mentioned earlier, you had, uh, New Balance had come out with the, the fresh foam, which was a uh, you can explain it more about a, about a digitally uh, dig digitally inspired um, foam that understood how runners moved and, and kind of kind of geared the foam toward that. I guess talk about that, but also how it led to um, kind of the new fuel soap foams. Yeah, I think you know, it, it, I think one of the the biggest things for me in terms of this like evolution or revolution that we've seen on the on the foam side. Again, I totally agree with Carson. I feel like the consumer has given us the license to create experience based product, um, more experience based product, should I say, than ever before. And a lot of those experiences are are things that would be would be almost a little bit traditional in the running shoe world, whether it be more cushioning or more stability or more support. But what we're also hearing about is, can it improve my performance? Can I run longer? Can I recover better? And all of these things have, have allowed us to think about the foam piece in a, or just shoes in general in a, in a way that's outside of the box of what we would have lived in previously. 
maybe I'm, I'm maybe this is just me, but I actually think one of the biggest changes here is not so much the materials that we've been able to use, but it's the processes that we've been able to use to bring um, these materials into our shoes. Because you know, if we talk about EVAs or the various thermoplastics that we're using today, they are different, but at a base level, they are they are fairly similar to where we've been, whether that be TPUs or PBACs. And all of those materials have been part of our industry for a long time. But I think it's some of the processes that we're using today that are getting them to be lighter weight, higher energy return, greater resiliency, greater lifespans. And that's through some of the, the different processes that we're looking at in terms of almost taking these materials and reskinning them um, in a modern way. You asked the question about Fresh Foam. Yeah, for our brand, Fresh Foam has been fantastic, right? And I think the biggest thing that 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 well, the biggest place that that got us to is really allowing our athlete and consumer data to drive the underfoot solution. So we use Grasshopper, which is a a, a, a 3D modeling software that comes out of the architecture industry to take a data set that was defined by force and pressure using Grasshopper, apply that then to the geometries on the medial side, lateral side, and directly underneath the foot and really let the data speak for itself in terms of where the different cushioning elements needed to be or where the different stability elements needed to be. And immediately what we started to see was the shoes and materials reacting and changing in a way that we hadn't seen before, just based on the fact that it wasn't so much my opinion or somebody else's opinion driving what the setup of that shoe needed to be. And ultimately the data was able to do it better. And I feel like our shoes have come on leaps and bounds in the last Shit Fresh Foam will be um, 10 years old in 2024. So it's it's been with the brand um, for a relatively long time right now. And I feel like it's been a real catalyst for us to create a, a different and, and new experience within our footwear. And that has driven, you know, to your point, some of the work that has gone on with the new fuel cell product um, and what we're trying to do under a more kind of energy return faster tempo running silo that that we have that is um, fuel cell for our brand. And we'll, we'll get into those foams specifically in a bit here, but um, it, it's amazing hearing some of this conversation to, to 10 years ago. We were all in this industry 10 years ago, but to hear some of the names of the models and the and kind of when these foams developed, it, it, it's amazing that it was 10 years ago and how different it was back then. And, and now looking at you know some of the shoes uh, in, in front of me right now, I have uh, the Brooks Catamount Trail Shoe, which is a totally new trail shoe. Um, I have the, the fuel, fuel Cell TC in front of me. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see how all these things have come together. Obviously, it wasn't overnight, but obviously, we do have shoes that are lighter, that are um, have, have new experiences, have, have more energy return in, in, in shoes, and it's obviously showing in results, too. And, and also, I think, um, kind of the performance and the experience of runners, we know that certainly running has grown by leaps and bounds and also changed, too. I mean, p- people aren't running the same kind of marathon training program ad nauseum. They're, they're doing other things. They're trail running. They're, they're doing... Uh, obstacle racing, all these different things. So everything's evolving kind of in that process. But I guess maybe let's take it back a bit and, and start maybe from each of your company's point of view. How does how does a shoe kind of come to life? We, we know by what we've just discussed that obviously there was a need or there was um, an interest or there was uh, some kind of biomechanical or material kind of um, notion that some of these shoes could, could evolve. But, but start from scratch. If, if, you're, if you're on day one of a new shoe, what does that begin with? Uh, um, I think I think Carson, you mentioned a brief, um, but I, and I know some some of the process too. But maybe uh, tell us, like, kind of how does a shoe come to life from you know starting line to uh, at retail? 
Yeah, you know, I think if you're doing it right, it's it's it could be starting as far as five five to seven years um, from the market, um, and so that you're you're really starting with a really wide funnel, uh, a wide funnel of material innovation to to really understand where materials are going. Um, not necessarily knowing who would want what material, but just starting to figure out where materials going, where are upper materials going, um, processes like Danny talked about, the processes have really been key in driving innovation in footwear. You know, how are things knitted? How are things, uh, how are foams expanded? Things like that. So, so that stuff is really happening five to seven years out with, with our really talented innovation teams. Um, then also too, there's consumer vision and work that's happening based on where we think the consumer might be relative to macro trends. Um, and, and that's never a, a, a perfect science, but there's a lot of um, we'll really play with potential futures of, of this happens in, in the consumer and running becomes this in people's lives. We try to start, start to imagine potential futures of, of what um, how running might evolve. And that stuff is leading our innovation teams. OK, and so they're working on different concepts that could be super broad and seemingly unrelated to a running shoe. Um, but eventually, as we get closer to a season, uh, when you're typically around two years out from the market, then your product line managers um, and, your, and your developers and designers are really going to take from that innovation um, and put together the pieces to make a product. Um, and for typically a target audience, a, a certain type of runner or a certain type of experience that we want to deliver. And they're able to pull from these innovation pipelines to figure out, okay, we want to have this sort of fit, this sort of material. Um, we want the underfoot ride to feel like this. And then there's the scientific part in, in, the, in pulling in all the research on biomechanics. What have we learned from data of how the body moves through footwear and how geometries impact uh, injuries? And so you, you combine, it's really a process two years out of combining the elements into uh, into something that uh, it's almost like you're a conductor and you've got to make a lot of great instruments sound beautiful in harmony because you could have incredible technology in different areas, but if it doesn't work together beautifully, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> and the runner, I will tell you, when it doesn't sound good, they won't run in it. Um, and so it's got to be a beautiful sound and bringing that together happens in about two years. But then once you put the pieces together, there's a refinement process that really goes on during that probably about a year and a half or so um, and it's typically it depends on the brand um, it could be a one or two maybe three rounds of iteration on a prototype or on a shoe and you know it's different some shoes it, it's an evolution where you're you're doing a 20 percent uh, update something it's a sort of a legacy franchise sometimes it's a completely new concept and so so the types of of uh the types of um updates that you're doing uh, in those rounds vary, but you're typically refining. And then eventually, as you get to about eight months to a year from the market, then you're moving into a commercialization phase, which is really about making sure you can scale whatever the, the design is and make sure that you can create the consistency that the consumer expects across every style or every size, uh, every color, et cetera. So that's sort of the long and short of it, but it can start as far as seven years out and then really refine down to um, about six to eight months from the market. Yeah, and, and Danny, I'll have you talk about um, kind of that process with New Balance in a second. I think that uh, you know part of the things you mentioned certainly understanding what 
the fit and feel and ride need to be several years out based on consumer trends. I think we've seen that with, um, you know, shoes that are, are certainly more versatile, maybe for the gym or for yoga, whatever people are doing is, is one of the things that's happened in the last several years. I think also the look is obviously important. And even though we try to think about running shoes on how they perform, certainly the look, um, you, you know, is, is a big part in having itself and the color, obviously. And I know you have color forecasters that kind of deal with a lot of that and certainly some of the materials might get weeded out because of their appearance. Uh, but at the same time, there's there's plenty of shoes um, that have come out that, that look unique. I think the Green Silence is a great running shoe that looked unique, obviously from Brooks. And then, but even even when the Fresh Foam came out with, with a dimpled appearance, um, certainly that was something new and different um, to, to the marketplace, which um, we, we see that all the time. And I, I think even the new Brooks uh, Hyperion Elite 2 um, looks drastically different than maybe a lot of shoes would have looked, except for there's other ones that have come out. So I think it's that's, that's a part of it as well. But maybe Dan, you talk about that from maybe the process of the current shoes that have been uh, coming out from New Balance and kind of how, how many years you've been spending doing that? Well, like I don't think our process is all that different to, to kind of what Carson laid out there in terms of the runway that's created or the broad funnel that's created in terms of what we would look at initially and, and how that funnels through our process and into our product and, and ultimately towards the consumer. I think the, the few things maybe I'd add is is I, I definitely think that our, our consumer insight part of where we are today is much stronger than it's ever been before. And creating solutions for that end consumer is so much more of our focus right now than I think it was previously in a sense that, you know, we're able to sell a lot more shoes ourselves. We're, lot, we're selling a lot more shoes directly to our consumers. We can get into the consumer's home with the product versus having to go through multiple different wholesale partners all the time to be able to get there. And I definitely think it's changed um, the way that we've thought quite a lot in terms of the ulti- ultimately how we want to we want to bring that, that product to market. I think the other piece that I would add is just, you know, it's so important to look at the range of shoes that we make um, versus the, the individual model or the individual style. You know, we're very focused on creating a range of product that, either can speak to one consumer in multiple different ways or speak to, you know, a large set of consumers across the board, not only in the U.S., but but obviously in, in different countries around the world, and making sure that we have the best overall range that we could possibly have um, for all of those different needs. And, you know, when I talk about one consumer, you know, we've got a lot of consumers that need four different shoes, right? And whether it be like an everyday training shoe, a long-distance training shoe, a tempo running shoe, or a racing shoe, we want to make sure that our range of architecture allows for that person to get all of those solutions um, from our brand, as well as the fact that we have multiple different runners with multiple different biomechanics that need a lot of different solutions and making sure that we have that too. So I think that's the one piece that I would add to what Carson said in terms of actually creating the product is that you know, we go through that broad funnel and we go through that, we use that long runway similar to, to how, how Carson laid it out. But then I do think through that, we're filtering and making sure that the range architecture makes sense, making sure that the individual models and styles make sense and are really driven by the desire from the consumer at the end of the day. And one of the desires of the consumer has always been to run faster. So uh, let's talk about shoes with carbon fiber plates. Uh, obviously, uh, 
it's not a new category. It's been around now for at least five years or so. Although carbon fiber um, was tested out in shoes and used in shoes probably since the mid '90s um, to various degrees. I think probably um, there was a couple, you know, in the '90s and early 2000s. Um, but we know now we're at a place where there's this new paradigm, right? Of of a carbon fiber plate, um, a curved carbon fiber plate to some extent, with a cushy, resilient foam um, that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Brooks shoe, the new one, the, the Hyperion Elite 2 um, is certainly one of those. The uh, Fuel Cell RC Elite um, are, are both at the forefront uh, really this week and the last couple of weeks of, of, of being released and being talked about. Um, maybe, Daniel, we'll start with you on that one. I, I know that the, the Fuel Cell um, uh, name has been around New Balance for a while, but obviously the, the, the most recent developments in the last couple of years has really been tied to this this fast, very resilient foam. I know it came out in a 5280, which was a, a myling shoe or a shoe for running a mile in. Um, but I guess to talk about that foam development, kind of what it means and, and kind of uh, kind of where, where we are with that. I think we're, we're from early in the conversation, we really are at a peak of innovation right now and, and uniqueness in running footwear. I feel like the market is asking very specific questions about performance enhancement enhancement. And I feel like all of the brands are really delivering a solution that um, that is allowing people to run faster. You know, you talk, you go back to the the 5280. You know, we we really looked at our overall staple of athletes and wanted to make sure that we were creating a solution for where the the bulk or where our, our most you know critical um, pro- professional athletes were, and and really in that kind of middle distance mile to 5k area, we. We had some real strength, and we also were sponsoring some of the marquee events um, at that point, as as well as now in terms of the different road miles around the world. And we felt like it was a really unique opportunity for us to have a look at the topic of performance enhancement and create our own solution. I also think ultimately what was interesting about that product is that the the benefit for the athlete is a little bit different to the marathon, where when we talk about the half marathon to marathon shoes that that you're referencing, um, the benefit there is certainly around economy, and not that economy isn't important in the mile because it is. You know, if that person's able to save a little energy for the last 300 meters, um, it's obviously going to help their performance, particularly you know when when people are looking for for an all-out sprint. But the the other thing that's interesting in the mile distance is that power was also super important. And being able to create a product that balanced those different, you know, the, those different engines within the human being was definitely something that really intrigued us about that product. And then ultimately, I think what we did is we took the learnings from that and the data that we received and, and certainly the fantastic results that we had, and then try to translate that into the longer distance um, with a product like the RC Elite. And, you know, you referenced it. Feel like Carson and I need to have an arm wrestle or something because our, <laughs> our shoes both um, both kind of came out this week. You know, RC Elite, we're launching that 915, but I feel like the industry's really talking about it right now. And and obviously, there's been some great stuff in the in the media the last kind of week to 10 days about the um, Hyperion V2 as well. So I feel like both of those shoes are, are coming to the market at a similar time. And um, and obviously, solutions that um, that we believe are going to be going to be fantastic for the consumer that's um, trying to run faster anywhere from a kind of a 10k to a marathon at this point. Yeah, and certainly you mentioned the, the middle distance uh, aspects of that, certainly with the power, obviously, 
from the efficiency point of view, from that turnover point of view, obviously the marathon has been a lot of focus of, of these new kind of shoes and, and obviously both brands are represented there. Um, Carson, talk, talk about the Hyperion development. Obviously the first version came out last winter. I think there's a lot of brands were waiting for the World Athletics ruling um, and we can say what we want about those. But once that that standardization came out, obviously a lot of other brands released their shoes this year. And then, but, but then, then Brooks quickly re, um, released a second version. Um, and I think, uh, you know, several of your runners ran well at the Olympic trials. I think, uh, Desi was obviously close to making another Olympic team, but, but talk about the, the, the second version of that shoe and kind of maybe how it got to that point. Yeah. You know, the, um, the Hyperion elite, it was a, came out for us with Boston and it, and it debuted one of our first prototypes actually debuted when uh, Desi wore it, when she won the Boston marathon. And that actually was an artifact of, uh, of a new thing that we call blue line, which is uh, a faster moving speed to market line within our create footwear creation system. And um, it allowed us to get from a, an insight we got from Desi and from the Hansons, uh, Kevin Hansen called me, <clears throat> excuse me, Kevin Hansen called me up a couple months before that race, that Boston Marathon, and just and express some concern around athletes feeling like they want to, you know, that, that they they don't want to be at a disadvantage at the start line, and that there's some product questions. So we moved really quickly, put that shoe on her foot. Um, she ran in it. Um, had a, we had a great result. Um, gave her that confidence she needed, and and so then we realized, okay, we got to keep our foot on the gas here, and um, make this even better. And so when we were able to access some of the new um, foaming compounds like DNA flash, which was really a breakthrough for us, which was, um, you know, essentially a, a hypercritical foaming process, which, you know, Danny mentioned the processes that are changing almost as more than the chemistry. And so the hypercritical foaming allowed us to really explore um, a, a more uh, springy, fast feeling shoe. And so we felt like we've got to get this into that as quickly as we possibly can um, but also, you know, also respect the timelines that, you know, it, to get something commercialized and to make sure that it's going to work for a lot of people and it's going to be consistent. Uh, it, it was tough, but we felt like um, we had something there that was just too important um, to to delay. So we actually accelerated faster than we've ever moved on probably any shoe. And it was definitely um, accelerated by the WA ruling on footwear because we wanted to get our best athletes in that shoe in Atlanta. And it was really important to us. And so we ended up taking the same upper from the Hyperion one elite one, um, because we didn't, we weren't fully through the development of the upper on the Hyperion elite two yet. And we plugged it onto a bottom that we had felt really good about in our testing uh, on the Hyperion elite two with the DNA flash foam. And it just was sort of serendipity and how it came together that the athletes immediately loved it. They had a great response, gave us two thumbs up. And so we fast tracked it through commercialization and was able to get it to market and now to all runners, um, this September or yes, two days ago, actually. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's really the evolution of it. And, and we're not going to stop there. We we're on two or three versions down in the future, imagining how it's going to continue to get better. But I think what makes uh, our approach to Hyperion elite unique is that we realize that the, the feeling of fast for an athlete isn't solely the energy return of the material. You know, it, that's part of it, but it's also that times the athlete's response to that material. And so there's an internal amount of cost that happens when somebody, when an athlete runs in any racing shoe. And what we want to be able to do is limit the internal cost 
to stabilize the body or to get into their most efficient um, stride and to do that with the highest possible energy return. And so that's really how in the lab we have, we have approached the geometries of that shoe and thinking about combining incredible chemistry, incredible processing with biomechanical knowledge of how the body um, reacts to geometries. And that's, uh, that's sort of the first representation of that was the Hyperion Elite 1. It's furthered in the 2, and you're going to see it continue to be furthered in the future. And that's all very exciting. I think a couple of things there is that, that certainly, um, you know, I, I've been in almost every one of the shoes that have come out this year, and they all run differently, right? And, and it's because they're all made differently, slightly differently, and, and that's, that's good. The foams are not identical, and, and certainly they all run differently to me because I'm, you know, who I am and my gait and you know, my injury history and my strengths and my weaknesses. And that's, that's exciting. I think so. Um, you know, what's great is there's a lot of choices out there. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, intriguing innovations and, and, and shoes. And obviously as, as runners kind of explore that to themselves, they'll find out, you know, the differences. Um, but I think too, though, that like, obviously 2020 has been a weird year in many ways. Right. And, uh, you know, normally in Olympic years, uh, there's a lot of new footwear and gear comes out and it's an exciting time. And I think some of that, you know, um, as you spoke of Carson, um, it happened, but obviously all of a sudden there was a big stall too. And I know that the, the initial parts of COVID uh, slowed down, you know, shipping out of uh, the Pacific Rim. And, and then obviously there was the, the world athletics ruling, which came late and, and all these things. And so I guess my question to you guys is, you know, uh, your brand still brought out great shoes this year and maybe on different timelines. Um, but I guess, you know, should we expect more things coming forward uh, for the new Olympic year of 2021? I know, I know, Danny, you guys have worked on some new uh, fuel cell track spikes. That's pretty cool. I think we saw a lot of kind of glimpses of shoes that were in Doha last year at the World Championships that maybe aren't commercially available yet. But I think, I think it seems like um, 2021 should continue this excitement of, of new shoes, even though we already had kind of part of the Olympic or Olympic trials this year and, and, and now it's delayed till next year. But maybe, Danny, talk about that and um, kind of where we're going. Well, I think, you know, to, to your initial point, you know, 2020 being being originally a, an Olympic year, I think you can see how all of us as, as brands had unique and kind of performance-related stories that have all dropped this year. Yes, like the ability, the fact that there was no games, the ability to, to get shoes to market, the fact that there's no racing. I think what it led to is it led to this scenario where people drop their product in at different times either by the fact that they were forced to do that based on the manufacturing or you know based on some marketing that they may have had um, going on at that time of the year because I feel like everybody has has dropped their um, their marathon super shoe in in 2020 and I'm sure for all of us we would have done that either before or just after the Olympics previously um, you know as we look forward to, to 2021, you know, you mentioned some of the track spikes. Um, you know, yeah, we had some athletes running in them in Doha, and we've had some fantastic results from that. That's kind of continued into 2020, even though there's hasn't been that much racing. You know, we are constantly getting feedback around training times, about around recovery times, around you know some some later in the year race results um, for what is a a new kind of range of track spikes that. Um, we will be debuting in a bigger way in, in 2021. That's been super interesting. And I feel like the track spike world is is an interesting one for innovation because I think if we're all honest, we probably haven't seen a ton of innovation in that space for the longest time. You know, shoes have been very, very cost sensitive. We've reused tools for a very long time. 
the goal for the athlete has been around whether they they fit them and almost provide them enough traction and that's it and i feel like we're in a in a very different time now in terms of asking some of those performance questions specifically on the track and i think it's adding and and it's creating this innovation in the track world um that we haven't seen forever so i feel like like there's a lot of that coming and you'll see a lot of that i'm guessing from all the from all the brands in 2021 i definitely think the addition of the world athletics rules um has been interesting too because what it's done is it's made us stop and think and ensure that we are absolutely maximizing the product within those rules when there was no rules you know you don't know exactly how far you could go or exactly how much we could possibly do um with the individual products that we have but when the rules are actually put in place and you know that it's 40 millimeters or 25 millimeters and the number of plates when you know those things um are kind of set in stone what's been interesting then is look at them and make sure that we're absolutely maximizing the product to its full potential within the rules and you know to Carson's point earlier we want our athletes to feel kind of hand on heart that they'll stand on the start line at the olympics or in a road race or in a marathon and feel like they have a level playing field if not better with everybody else that's out there and we feel really good about that and we feel even better that we'll be in that position as we look forward to to 2122 and beyond yeah and as a shoe geek uh, as a running shoe geek that's what uh, excites me i mean obviously uh Olympic year or not, we always see new models coming out and, and new innovations, but obviously, especially that, that we have this kind of period of, of hyper-innovation, um, certainly extended over kind of a two-year Olympic period. That's, that's super exciting. Um, uh, we're about to wrap up, but I'll ask one more question here, and, and maybe each of you guys, uh, certainly with your experience based on what you've seen, based on what you know coming down the pipeline, um, I don't want to give away any kind of internal secrets yet, but, uh, but I guess maybe, Carson, I'll start with you. What, you know, where are we going? We, we know that uh, all this innovation has happened especially in the last, let's say, 10 years or so. And, and, and for a while before, that, there wasn't as much um, innovation. I think Danny alluded to earlier, certainly when industries go through these um, intensive periods of innovation, I think we're still in that. But I guess maybe, Carson, from your point of view, I know you guys have, have, have tried to do some customizing of shoes, um, obviously all these new foams, new racing shoes. Uh, what, what do you see happening in the next uh, maybe two to three years, but also maybe in the next 10 years? Yeah, Brian, I, I much I, I love the ten year question because we, we can really have fun with that one. Um, you know, I think the three year the three year question just to get that out of the way. I, I think that you're gonna you know Danny alluded to it, but I think you're gonna see um, a continuing uh, uh, pushing the envelope of chemistry, pushing the envelope of um, of compounds of processes things like that, and and it's runners are gonna win for it. They're gonna they're going to be able to uh, run in shoes and have a feeling like they've never dreamed. And that's awesome. And I think that's great for the sport because now we're starting to get into a place where people are more comfortable running. We're starting to, um, I think, uh, technology around injury prevention is getting better. So I think you're going to continue to see smarter support systems. You're going to see smarter compounds and foams. You're going to see smarter geometries. You're going to see better materials. Um, and that's because everyone is driving innovation across the industry here. And, and the runner wins when that happens. Now, as you look 10 years out, I am really excited about so many potential unlocks that may come beyond chemistry. You know, I think chemistry, you almost ask yourself with some of these shoes, and you mentioned this at the beginning, Brian, but it's like, 
you know, I know 10 years ago, we'd say, where do we go from here? Right. And, and I think we're at another point where now we're like, where do you go from, from the incredible nature of the shoes that are out there today and the benefits that they're providing? Where do you go? And, and so when I think about where do you go, uh, I think there's so many things we haven't unlocked yet in, in footwear. I think one is data and, you know, really leveraging uh, biometric information of, of every step a runner takes. And we have capacity, storage capacity now. I mean, they can sequence the genome. Um, there is so much storage capacity of data that I think we can get smarter a lot faster for each individual. Uh, and that to me, because if you look at runners, runners are all different. Every single person is different. They all respond to different things. And there isn't a one sort of off the counter solution. And so we like to think of the idea of if we could learn more about you as a runner, every step you take, um, how would that translate into a shoe for you? And so we're excited about continuing to explore that. Uh, in general. And I also think technology from, uh, you know, unlocking more motivation in running and, and keeping people excited about running and making it more fun and, and um, dimensional, thinking about how footwear plays a role in that with um, technology. And so I think there's things where chemistry is going to keep getting better, but I think you're going to start adding in layers beyond that that are going to that are going to make the product even more personal and more immersive. But but more than likely, I'll still have to do my long runs on my own. The shoes aren't going to run them for me, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> At some point, you don't want the shoe to run for you because then it takes away what we love about running. So mm -hmm. there is a line there, but I think we're, we're yet to, to really uh, walk that. Yeah. And Danny, I know you already touched on uh, the next couple of years, but I guess maybe take that long view as well. And I mean, you know, there's so many things, uh, so many products in our lives that um, certainly have innovated and continue, but also some have, you know, maybe are more static, you know, but, but I guess, you know, what we know about running um, is probably a lot, but it's, it's a pretty basic form of human movement. But I guess, uh, will running shoes ever stop um, evolving or innovating? I mean, it seems like as an industry point of view, you don't want it to, but I mean, it seems like there's still a lot of um, limitless, you know, again, white ca canvas to explore. Yeah, you know, I feel like at this point, we really are um, just scratching the surface of, you know, what we have right now and, and what the future could ultimately be. Brian, you know, you 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 referenced your um, <clears throat> your weekend long run or your Saturday long run you're still going to be have to go out and do that yourself and be motivated to do that yourself. But I do think we're going to make it easier and easier and easier for you to do it every year, either through the technologies that are coming um, within your shoes or just the overall comfort levels or how quickly you recover from it or how, how you feel kind of after doing it or the injury concerns that you have. Like I feel like there are just so many areas that we're looking at right now that are going to just benefit runners down the line. And I, I really do think that the, the scope of what we're going to be able to bring you to the point of what we can bring you in the next three years versus the next 10 years, I, I really think it's mind-blowing. And, you know, if, if we wouldn't be motivated and excited to work in this industry right now, we should we should get out right now because we have we have so many interesting things coming that are ultimately going to be meaningful for the runner at the end of the day. And I, I think I'll, I'll leave it. My last one would be is that, we obviously have a responsibility to the planet as well and making sure that um, the products that we're making are as sustainable and have as little impact as possible. And I definitely think as an industry, we all need to hold hands and make sure that we are, we're all kind of fighting those battles together. And I know both ourselves and all the other brands are doing good things in pockets, but I do think that that's another area 
um, where there's a lot of runway. And, and on one hand, we want to make running better and performances better and, and more comfortable. Um, but on the other hand, we want to we want to do the same thing for the planets, too. And we're aggressively thinking about what that can look like. That's uh, that's good input. I know that Brooks is also doing the same thing with some of its foams and such. Um, that's, uh, that's a good way to end it. Uh, so thank you very much, guys. Uh, Carson Caprara from Brooks and Danny Orr from New Balance. It's been a fascinating conversation, obviously one that I love to have with you guys. Uh, maybe over a beer. It's Rosie's in New York next time. But um, thank you very much for joining this episode of Kixology. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Kixology podcast. Thank you very much to Carson Caprara of Brooks Running and Danny Orr of New Balance for their engaging conversation and insights. Look for some of those brands' new models on Instagram, also at brooksrunning.com and newbalance.com. Please tune in each week as I talk about all things running shoes, from breakthrough innovations to historic fails, the bestsellers of the past, and what's coming next. Also, be sure to pick a copy of my book, Kixology, The Hype, Science, Culture, and Cool of Running Shoes at amazon.com. 